Welcome to the show. Vasos is here. Aloha. Rachel's here. Greetings. Mark Strong is going to be here. Tell me about Mark Strong, Rachel Horn. Oh, no, Mark Strong. What a man, what an actor. So you've seen him in loads of other things, but last night I watched Deadshot. So this is his new movie, uh, which is uh, so it's set it's 1975. It's uh, set in Northern Ireland along the border, also in the UK, in London, and it tells of a really difficult time. Uh, paramilitaries, the IRA, the fight that was going on on either side and Mark plays a very sort of sinister and shadowy British intelligence sort of officer who's sort of you know running them all from behind his his glasses and his pints of ale in a sort of plyboard cladded pub I forgot we used to have those yeah this um they also visit a cafe which has a sort of Mondrian stained glass window which looks like it still might exist and I want to know where it is because I want to go there <laughs> we should find out two teas please biggest mugs you have <laughs> Um, what can you tell me, Vassos? What can I tell you? Yes, anything at all. Would you like to know about the thing that I've apparently been boring you with all week, but it's very exciting. When you hear... So my friend Jockey found on vinyl the remix of the song, the exact remix that we used to dance to every Friday night in the borderline for... This is it. It goes... Of the Mock Turtles, Can You Dig It? And he found it on vinyl, somehow transferred that to an email emailed it to me and I have been listening to this all week it just takes me back to it was called the Christmas Club Friday night at the borderline every Friday for years it doesn't matter the time of year this is the sort of music they played yeah and the DJ was called Tom Smith (laughs) and I I, I go up to him I go up to him beer in hand I buy him a beer and he goes alright lads and I go can you play he goes yeah Yeah, I know know." and I go the one that goes he goes, yeah, 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 it's all right, I got it, I got it. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Was this before barcodes? Is that where they got the noise from then? Is Maybe. that the thing? Yeah. Well, it's very good. That was then and this is now. This is now musically. Two stories today doing the rounds. Beyonce and Taylor Swift, Tay-Tay, the two really big guns, the big female guns of the music business nowadays. I think it's fair to say that. Unbelievable, unbeyonce leaveable in today's Sun double page spread. Here we go. Who's been to see the gig? Simon Boyle from The Sun has been. Three hour show, 36 songs, 57 gigs to come, nine costumes, £1.9 billion already banked in ticket sales. That's before merch, everyone. <laughs> and our very own Will is going to go and see Beyonce later. Five star reviews across the board. That's what they're saying in The Sun, in The Guardian. Beyonce Renaissance World Tour review, a dizzying three hour spectacular. Even without Tay Tay's Ticketmaster Melting Eras Tour nipping at her heels. It wouldn't do for a star as compulsively ambitious as Beyonce to merely protect her status as the greatest pop show on earth. Not when her first solo headline tour since 2016 could instead push 21st century live entertainment another lavish leap forward. 57 stadium dates, dripping with sci-fi disco, decadence, sex, body positivity and feminine black pride. The near three-hour spectacular plays out in front, behind and at times inside a football pitch-wide high-definition video screen designed to assault the senses at dizzying scales. Does it work? Yes, it does. In a finale, which was unsubtle retro-futuristic fanfare, Bay Beyoncé summons Bianca Jagger's iconic Studio 54 moment by gliding through the air on a glitter-encrusted white horse... Oh, I don't know there's words to this. Uh, While well, Summer Renaissance, which samples Donna Summers, I feel love, Blairs. And uh, basically, everybody's saying it's great. All right, sorry. I've got to move on now to Taylor Swift and Fernando Alonso. Oh. Have you heard about this? 
No, I heard she was holding hands with somebody else. Right, so somebody's being pesky over at Sky Sports Sky F1, and we think it's David Croft because he keeps <laughs> sneaking in, actually more than sneaking in, trumpeting, tromboning, clowning in Taylor Swift references to his commentary. Here we go. Swift drive from Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso has just gone fourth fastest driving like a... He's driving a getaway car. So maybe that might cause some bad blood. Fernando Alonso there looking for... uh... Looking for that blank space in between. As you can say, don't blame me, it's a car issue. Maybe that's Alonso's style, uh, and maybe at the end they'll, they'll say woulda, coulda, shoulda. Now, I asked Taylor Swift, she said he was the mastermind. Car number 22, which Ted Kravitz is not. Fernando Alonso's favourite number, but, you know, a swift check of the facts, it might well be. It's on the subject of 22, by the way, which is now, of course, our favourite song and number. Fernando Alonso's found a bit of blank space there. Henry. Yeah, even. Oh, I love it. Sort of like Taylor Swift bingo. Yeah, so either they've been dead. Yeah, they've totally. been pesky. Fernando has the hots for Tay Tay, and it's some kind of pit joke, pit yeah. bants, as it were. Anyway, then Fernando Alonso added new fuel to Taylor Swift dating rumours with latest social media post, and this is a while ago. He says, "I'm lifting 22s." Um, as the former Renault star refused to deny rumours, the story has become well-known in the panic with Sky Sports commentators Kareem Chanduk and David Croft having fun with the links during Sunday's Azerbaijan Grand Prix. That's where that came okay. from, I suppose. But since then, Fernandez had to take two, um, the microphone, and had to stand in front of cameras to scotch everything because it was all getting a bit, <laughs> a bit too serious. I don't know if he's massively married, oh, Fernandez. Does he have a wife? Or something? I have to ask this one because if I don't, I'll just yes. be leaving a blank space. But um, and oh. I know it potentially is your love story and nobody else's. But uh, there, there, there have obviously have been, no, no, been rumours over the uh, over the break. I answered already. Did you answer yes. already? All I saw was you wink at the camera. I have nothing to say. You have nothing, nothing to, say. to say. That's not an answer. I mean, it's so complicated, Baku format already. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Since then, we have been reliably informed by uh, Mira that, <laughs> that she's still all over the internet, hand in hand, smiles. With the 1975 frontman, yeah, yeah, Marty yeah. Healy? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I don't know where it's come from. <laughs> But it didn't really go anywhere. It's funny. It is funny. Anybody else got any goss? <laughs> we don't do gossip on this show, do we? Why are we doing this? I don't know. It's all over the papers today. Um, quickly, 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 before we move on uh, to other things, there are other stories. Like the Australian band who have... They have... What have they done? They've done something to do with Eurovision. They oh, have so they, they broke the, trend. the curse of rock. Sorry, they've broken the curse of rock. Uh, we have an Australian rock band who've made it through to tomorrow's final, Woo-hoo! tomorrow's Eurovision final. I'm very excited about that. There were loads of rock bands in Tuesday's semi-final. None of them got through. So I, was, I thought this was like, um, you know, a multi-year kind of curse. It's just from Tuesday. Yeah, but Tuesday it's was a long curse. time ago in Eurovision's history. Yeah, I suppose so. Can't wait for tomorrow. Uh, that Australian, the, the lead singer of the rock band is also an immigration lawyer. I don't know if that made that he meant to, he was able to argue his way out of the curse. <laughs> oh, no. um, there are other stories around. We'll get to them, don't worry. On the show today, Mark Strong is going to be with us. 
And also Humphrey Kerr is going to be here. Tell us about Humphrey Kerr, Rachel. So uh, Humphrey is a British comedian. He's also an actor. He's a writer. Uh, he made his way over to the States. So he was working in LA and he was working on a TV show with uh, Rob McElhenney. And uh, Humphrey was always watching the football. And Rob was like, what are you doing? And he got Rob into football. And then when Rob and his mate Ryan decided they wanted to buy a football team, they said, Humphrey, can you sort us out? So they got Humphrey to look at what football teams they could potentially buy. Humphrey came up with a list of criteria uh, and, you know, to do with sort of um, facilities, history, community support. And, and he decided, he scored them on marks out of 10 and Wrexham came out on top. So I'm really curious to know what other teams, who could it have been? Uh, things for sale. People like to peruse, don't they, and buy things at the weekend. You can buy some caves in Devon, build as Britain, uh, Britain's oldest home. Build by the estate agent as Britain's oldest home and includes a network of caves featuring stalagmites and stalactites. Which go down and which go up? Stalactites come down like tights. They hang down like tights. But tights also go up. No, but you don't, not, not that way. When you're holding them up, they look like stalactites. You're they right, you're ceiling. right. And that's what, how we all remember it. Yeah. Kent's Cavern in Devon, which has been open to the public since the 19th century and in the ownership of the same family for 100 years, is up for sale for between £2 million and £2.5 million. Pounds. Um, the cave's very old, the price very modern sounding. Yeah, for a cave. You don't fancy that? <laughs> I've got a hole in the ground. <laughs> it always amuses me when people put things up for, you know, between £2 million and £2.5 and I'd go for two. Yeah. I wouldn't go for it either, but if I did, I'd go for two. Fans selling contacts that have seen Taylor Swift eras tour for ten thousand dollars. Contact lenses. Yeah, so <laughs> this is these are for fans. The caves. These are for fans who couldn't get tickets for this tour because it's like beyond sold out. This fan did go and see the Swift concert. She paid a lot for her ticket. She's now trying to recoup some of her, some of those funds by selling the contact lenses she wore. On eBay. So these contact lenses have seen Taylor Swift if you haven't. And they're $10,000. <laughs> I, I, I applaud her. So yeah. do I. I think it's brilliant. If she actually gets $10,000. I think it's brilliant. Her. Brilliant. And if you don't, so if you don't fancy the caves and you don't fancy the contact lenses, how about this? Nike are flogging a pair of trainers covered in green grass like fur for $1,400. Here's, here's the trainers. <laughs> I think <laughs> they should quiet. call them either the Nike Muppet. Yeah. Yeah. The Nike Shrek or the Night Grinch. Mm-hmm. And I think Shrek, you know, if we didn't know Shrek for Shrek, I think that's, that sounds like a sports brand to me anyway. Mm. The new, oh, have you seen the new Shreks? I quite like them. What's oh, the I point can't... of them? Oh, Rachel, what's the point of anything? Why have they... What's the point of jewellery? You love jewellery. What's the point of jewellery? Because it's pretty and it makes me feel good. There you go. That's the answer. That's they're your answer. <laughs> well, they are if you think they're pretty. Yeah? Okay. What's the point it's of your... It's fashion. What's the point... What's the, 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 what's the point of life? <laughs> But they're a sportswear brand. They're not going to make you run faster. Right. I don't... I don't. Look. Maybe they're for camouflage. Horses for courses. If they're not for horses. If it floats your boat, it might sink other people's. But it doesn't mean it still floats yours. Correct. It doesn't float yours anymore. No. Um, what's, the, what's the meaning of life? Hmm? I don't know. To give life meaning. Oh, okay. That's the thing there. What's the point of Eurovision, Rachel? Oh, joy. The point of Eurovision is joy well, and glitter. Well, the point of these trainers is joy if they give Brilliant. you joy. Yeah. And by the way, if you if you, if you you live in the drama triangle or you know somebody who lives in the drama triangle, what a boring place that is to be. Drama triangle has three corners. One of the corners is the perpetrator. One is the hero and one is the uh, victim. Okay? Now... 
anybody who considers themselves in a drama triangle as the hero will also sometimes consider themselves the victim, but they will never be the perpetrator. And that's a really boring triangle to be in. And if you know somebody like that, even if you aren't aware of it, at some point you will be the perpetrator. Okay, and they will always be the hero or the villain. But when the drama runs out, when the drama runs out of road, joy kicks in. And that's where we live. Mm. Let's go. He's an actor, writer, comedian and executive director of everyone's new favourite Welsh football club. He's also lacing up his own boots tomorrow in Alex Horne's comedy football trophy at Chesham United. So from welcome to Wrexham to welcome to Virgin Radio, Humphrey Carr. Good morning, Humphrey. Hello, good morning. Hello, hello. What a story. So can you tell us the first time that the names Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney came on your radar? Oh, blimey. Well, I've worked for Rob for a few years as a writer on on Mythic Quest, which is a show on Apple TV. And um, in my uh, my role there, I would occasionally, you know, during my lunch breaks, be caught watching football by Rob and got him sort of slightly intrigued in the whole thing. Uh, and then made him watch a documentary called Sunderland Till I Die at the start of the lockdown. And that's what gave him the idea to to buy a football team. So Rob and I were, were sort of working on it for a little while. And Rob said to me one day, oh, I've got this friend who owns a gin company who might be interested in sponsoring the team. Uh, and that, that friend with the gin company was Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan was more than interested in just sponsoring the team. He wanted to come in as a co-owner. And... Um, so yes, we then had a series of slightly weird zooms where whereby I mean weird insofar as I was a TV writer, I wasn't really expecting to be zooming with a, a movie star and a TV star about buying a North Walian football team, but here we are, two and a half so, years later. So you you're obviously you're a football fan. Who do you support? Yeah. Um, well, now it's Wrexham, of course. Um, but uh, as you can tell from my thick brutal accent, um, I'm a Liverpool fan uh, by night. We support the most entertaining team in the world. And I don't care what anybody says, uh, because <laughs> no Liverpool game is ever dull. Ever, ever dull. Uh, no. Right. So Wrexham now, uh, not born, but bred, um, sort of self-bred in a way. Why, yeah. did, why did you recommend Wrexham to Rob and to Ryan? Well, we, I, I, I got given the task of kind of coming up with... It, with um, a short list. You know, re- reasons for, a short list, reasons for, reasons against, that kind of thing. And Wrexham scored really highly in a bunch of different categories, the, the main one being fan base, right? I mean, <clears throat> this is a team with a big history and, you know, they used to get 35,000 a week in, in the 70s uh, when you could cram as many people as, as you possibly could on the terraces. And um, and during, you know, 2019 in the National League, they were getting 4,500 a week, which was more than most League Two teams. So we knew there was this big fan base that, kind of deserved a break and had a great storied history and it just you know jumped out from all the other candidates so name some of the other candidates if you don't mind uh, i will sure um so so we'd written down um uh you know uh, there were a bunch that we looked at but none that really kind of reached the same level as Wrexham. but one of the most intriguing ones i think given the, this recent season was Notts county um obviously a brilliant team and a, a fantastic again history and stadium and fan base and all those things um, but unfortunately, you know, well, fortunately for us and for Exxon, they had been bought quite recently. So they dropped out of the conversation quite fast. Um, Carlisle United was one. Um, who else was on the list? Hartlepool. Um, I think we looked at Aldershot because they uh, they appeared first um, alphabetically on the list of National League clubs. Triple A. Triple A, yes, yes. That, that, old, that old trick. Get yourself first in the phone book and, and someone is going to be very lazy and, and take a look at you. Um, so yeah, it was it was a wide variety really. Um, few League Two clubs, some National League clubs, 
I don't think there are any National League North or South clubs. I think Chippenham Town I put in there because it's really near my parents. I thought that That'd would be, be nice. very convenient, <laughs> convenient. for me. <laughs> and were all these yeah. clubs for sale then? Well, I mean, I think I think the truth is down at that level, it's really tough for all the clubs. So, right. so everyone's interested in someone investment. who's coming in and offering, yeah, yes. offering investment and offering an opportunity. I understand. So, so that everybody took the call, but not everybody, you know, necessarily was was as interested. What a, and I've never seen Welcome to Wrexham. Forgive me, I'm intrigued. I just don't have right. much time to watch telly. Is all this in the show? Um, the a little bit of it. A little bit of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there's. To be honest with you, I, I have seen the documentary, but it's a long time, and I also lived the documentary. So, so I can't. I'm getting muddled up in my head as to what's in and what's out. But I think we. I think to be honest with you. They had to like accelerate the first couple of first couple of episodes cover about six months. So I don't know that all. I mean, this I, I'll say this, Chris. This is an exclusive. If you're ready, people should tune in every <laughs> morning. On. They're going to get more red hot gossip. No, this is it. You've already had it. That was it. All right. Well, I liked it. <laughs> I think it's a it's a great story. And when Ryan and Rob then said, you know, we 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 might be interested. Did they say we might? Did they say we would? Did they say we could? Did they say we want to? Did they say we will? Oh, it was always we will. I mean, it, it was the thing about Rob is that he is just one of nature's like doers. Right. Because this was it started out, it felt like a sort of conversation you have with a friend in a pub. Like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we bought a football team? And wouldn't it be great if we did this? And wouldn't it be great if we did that? And then what happens? You'll go home and reality sets in and, you you know, you talk about it wistfully every now and then. You know, we started like that. And then two days later, he called me. He's like, right, I've already sold two seasons of documentary. And I've spoken to this company called Inner Circle Sports that sold Liverpool to Fenway Sports Group. Which team are we buying? And that was when it started to be like, oh, this is this is really, this is happening. We're doing it. It's genuinely, you know, what what has been a fun chat is now a very real reality. So, you know, often when we're asked to, to get involved in various things, one of the first questions you need to know the answer to is what's your budget? Did you ask that question to Rob and to Ryan? Um, I, I did and I didn't, I didn't I like, because I sort of, you know, we want, I want to know how serious this was. I mean, one of the things that happened quite early on was that we were approached or, or, or uh, rather uh, inner circle sports, who are the guys that, that, um, helped us to, to find the club, um, were approached by, I think, representatives from Bolton Wanderers who, who at that stage, you know, were, were in quite a sort of difficult situation and and they were available at, at what was a knockdown price for a club of that stature at that stage of i think we were told you know we could get them for about 10 million pounds and that felt like it was going to really stretch our resources in terms of you know you can spend two million on a national league club and go in and make a huge amount of difference with the money you have or yeah. you could go and take over a league one club um where your resources wouldn't go so far and, and you would you would then be sort of another run-of-the-mill League One club in a way um, with all the challenges that come with it. Not run-of-the-mill. I mean, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean, you just, there wouldn't be anything particularly special about us. We'd be another big, um, you know, uh, um, ch sub, just sub-championship. Yeah, no, they do recommend, don't they, you know, be the biggest fish in the smallest pond because it's more fun that way. Yes, certainly has proven to be, <laughs> to yeah, be that so, for us. Wow, yeah, well done. And now you're integral to the club because you're the managing director. Yeah, exec executive director. Executive so, yeah, director. I, I sit Sorry. on the board with the guy. No, 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 God, don't worry. Um, I sit on the board with with Rob and Ryan, and I, I act as sort of a liaison between them <laughs> and the love. club. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, it's how are the negotiations with Gareth Bale going? <laughs> I think I think Gareth has been very very um, clear on his position, which is that he's very much enjoying living in LA and playing golf in the sunshine with his family, yes. and doesn't want to come to North Wales and get 
absolutely clattered in training by Owen O'Connell uh, um, three times a week. So, um, you know, I think I don't think he's going to be uh, turning out in a Wrexham shirt anytime soon. But I'll say one thing I've learned during this process is every time I think, well, this is the sensible course of action. Here's how we do things in the world of football. Rob and Ryan do tend to surprise me in some way, shape or form. And they seem the real deal. I mean, who knows? You know, I don't know them at all. And you know them much better than most people, mm. especially this side of the pond, as we say. They, do, But they do come across as, you know, I've seen Ryan Reynolds being interviewed, being interviewed by David Letterman at his house. You know, it was an extensive interview. Letterman was there all day. I don't know if you've seen it, but mm. he comes across as a very genuine, grounded, successful, thoughtful, um, strategic, but not in a cynical way, just in a sensible way, kind of human being. He's happily married. He has a great family. I don't know, Rob at all. You know, is that is that how they are? Are they, are they like the Anton Deck of Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, they certainly have got me eating a lot of kangaroo anuses. Um, so, so in, in that way, they're very similar. Yeah, no, I mean, I, honestly, it's extra- to get to work in football at all is a real dream come true for me. But to work for these guys without being t- too uh, brown nosy on the radio in the morning, but like they, they're re- all their hearts are completely in the right place. I mean, I think Ryan in particular, I was, I'll mention because I didn't know him as well. I knew Rob very well before I came into this, so I knew what to expect. But Ryan was attracted to this because he saw it as a way to use a football club as kind of a philanthropic engine for the town. He was he was more interested in what we could do for the town as opposed to sort of what was happening on the pitch, albeit mm. he recognised that was very important. But then, you know, if you ever do get around to seeing the documentary, or anyone who's seen the documentary will know, you see this moment where he falls in love with football um, when we beat Stockport uh, 2-0 in an FA Trophy semi-final um, Paul Mullins scored two very late goals um, and it was, you know, he was just, he had that moment, you know, I'm sure any of us who are football fans have had being in the stadium of being like, oh, oh, this this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I want this feeling every day, you know, f- forevermore. Okay. Um, so they're, ge- yeah, they're, they're big into it. They love it. They're genuine, right. They want to do it for 40 years. I hope well, I get to do it for that long time. I was going to say, that's my the final question. I could talk to you all morning about this, but it's Friday. We've got to play some music and have some other kind of fun. This is fun, but this is all the fun. And I can't wait to see you tomorrow <laughs> at Chesham United at this massive sold-out charity game, which I'm re- yes, now involved and quite nervous about. Uh, <laughs> oh, me too. Yes. Um, I don't even have a pair of boots. I don't, I'm don't. i just worried about all my hamstrings and all my calves. Um, yeah, so it's not how revolutions start. It's how they end. You know, it's not how anything... We can all start, you know, but, but it's about... That's why managers are brilliant, you know, whether they run a company or a corner shop or a massive conglomerate or a football team because running things is a real skill and it takes a certain person you know how what's what's how long are they going to be around for you know it Wrexham is nice and shiny as far as they're concerned again I'm not doubting their sincerity or their authenticity or their commitment but how does where does this go from here how does this end well I mean we had a board meeting in in last August in in Los Angeles and and you know, the guys are saying, oh, I want to, as, as, as a very stand-up for National League clubs, yes. we tend to all get together in a big summit in Beverly Hills. Um, they, uh, I mean, listen, they were saying, I want to be doing this when I'm 70. You know, I, I truly think they are in this for the long haul. Um, certainly I am, as, as long as they'll have me. And, um, you know, our, our aspirations are, we, we truly think this is a, is a classic sort of football sleeping giant. And, you know, the giant's waking up.
or the yeah. dragon or whatever you want to put it. I love it. I love it. Um, Humphrey, we've got to go. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Just Rachel, tomorrow. do you want to say hello to your friend? Oh, Humph- I don't know Humphrey. Alex knows Humphrey. Right, Hi, sorry. Humphrey. Yeah. I'll meet Hi, you tomorrow. Rachel. I can't wait. Yes, indeed. Uh, I'll you're be playing the one for that is... uh, Egg United, by the way. Uh, oh, good to know. Yes, I'll be the one that's nursing my ankle after about two minutes okay, and doing, great. doing the old... We'll bring uh, you ice. Let's have a substitution. Okay, that'll be two minutes after I'm nursing my ankle, so good luck. <laughs> thank you so much. What a, thank you so much. What a fascinating story it continues to be and may it go on for as long as Humphrey suggests that it might. He is the silken-voiced big screen superstar who could read the phone book and leave you drooling. His latest film, Deadshot, is available from today on Sky Cinema, so stand by everyone and turn up the volume because there's no diluting Mark Strong. Good morning, Mark. Hello. How are you, pal? I'm good, thanks. All right, uh, thanks for being here again. What a film this is. Um, Would you like to frame it for our listeners, please? Yeah, it's set against the... um, Troubles in the 70s, but it's essentially a revenge story. Yes. A squaddy at the beginning of the movie accidentally shoots somebody and that person's partner chases him back to the UK and tries to hunt him down. Yeah, and did it happen or is it a reflection of the kind of things that were happening? I think it's more of a reflection of the time. All the characters and the incidents are all based on probably what we know now was going on behind the scenes. Right. Um, but really, it's a sort of good old-fashioned kind of uh, revenge story. You know, this man has got to kind of um, avenge the death of his wife. Yeah, and so um, two people who have been wronged in their own different ways, as many people were at the time, and also wrong, could be described as wrongans themselves. Yeah. So going up against each other... Um, both have everything and nothing to lose at the same time, almost. Yeah, but they're, they're, I mean, what's tragic is that they're both fronting a sort of institution and ideology behind both of them yeah. that's kind of clashing. And so I suppose their personal fight is a reflection of what was going on at the time. Yeah. Um, the echo, echoes of it rang true as far as I was concerned. I think we were all really surprised, weren't we, watching it, how much we had... Um, sort of subconsciously distance ourselves from things that we were around whilst they were happening. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, well, we're aware of the 70s. I mean, I've, you know, I, I, I was at school in the 70s. Yeah, so, sure. But I suppose to people, younger people now, it's a period drama, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating when they get it so right, as they do in this film, the look of it, the feel of it, you know, what was going on at the time. It reminds you, my God, yeah, I do. I, I, I'd forgotten that's how the world was. Yeah, and um, there are no rules sometimes when things like this go on, and that was very much that's very much your character's sort of narrative. Yeah, he's a he's a behind the scenes kind of black ops operator, somebody we would have known nothing about, yeah. but, but knew existed. And uh, when the squaddy is uh, accused of murder, because they're still um, individuals, you can't get away with killing people just because you're in the military. Uh, this guy, my character, takes him under his wing and decides that they're going to. Uh, find any um, operatives, Irish operatives in London and go and hunt them down. Yeah, and so so these it was he offers the guy a deal, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a sort of deal that he can't refuse. Well, he could, but there's a, sort of no point. And there's not any... So th- this happened, these kind of things happened. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, they, they had to fight fire with fire. You know, that's the way they saw it. But it was all completely illegal and underhand. But... Uh, it was the only option. You know, we were living in a in a in a city in a, a world where at any moment, you know, you could um, you could uh, a bomb would go. And so your character is part of the police force, not the military, but they did sort of dovetail behind the scenes when they had to. Yeah, 
He's a he's a policeman rather than MI6 or NI5, and he is running a covert operation and and in, employs the squaddy to come and be one of his people. Yeah, and the shocking thing is, well, it's all shocking, but you know, we were we were around, we were brought up with the troubles in Manchester and, and every major city, you know, in the United Kingdom and Ireland, and it was on the news every night, you know. Yeah. And again, you think, no, this is this isn't well, it is history now, but it wasn't history then, and we were around and we were witnessing this, and who knows what was going to happen next, you know, uh, as various things were unfolding. But as always, in the middle of these things, you know, whether it's Ukraine today or it's the Cold War, or it's the Troubles, the normalcy, you know, the, the, the lack of drama mm. around things in real life, these things happening in real life, it was all very normal, wasn't it? Well, you just had to get on with you it, you know, get on whenever. With it. I mean, I think of those the poor people in Ukraine having every day, I think, my God, their lives have literally been turned upside down. Yeah. But they just have to get on with it. And you keep hearing stories of people that are having to carry on living their lives against the backdrop of, of chaos. Yeah. And that's pretty much what it was like then. What I love about the film, though, is that is how how much it feels like the 70s. It They've really done does. such a great job oh with, the, with the period element of it. Did you enjoy yeah. that? Yeah, I wanted to move on to that. I didn't want to get off the subject matter too quickly, but because oh. for, no, the, the, for me, you know, the, the cars, it's like, these cars are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Cortina Mark, the brown Cortina Mark III with yeah. the vinyl roof. Yeah. And, you know, the... Because if you really want to to sort of throw a film back in time, one of the best ways you can do it, if there's a lot of exterior shots, just get loads of cars in. Yeah. Um, and you, you sort of had them all, didn't you? We used to have a Ford Cortina. That, yeah. was, that was my dad's car, a Ford Cortina. Yeah. Beautiful car. So that's a Mark II. II. Yeah. yeah, Mark II. But the other, I mean, for me, the cars, I mean, the, the drama was compelling. I'm like, wow, that's a great car. That's a great car. Your character's car is a Rover. Well, there's a Rover P5 and there's a Rover P6. Yeah. He's in a P5, your guy, a chauffeur-driven P5, an undercover um, sort of plainclothes cop car. And then um, there's a P6 in that as well. Mm. How did it drive? <laughs> it drove um, with encouragement. Yeah, because I you thought, had to, they the get, looked gorgeous. The getting in and out was the thing. I'd yeah, forgotten yeah. that. They're tiny, you know, you, the doors creak open and you yeah, really yeah. have to bend yourself to in half in order to get into them. To hinge them. Getting out, you know, you need help. Yeah. Um, the calf where your character goes and says, uh, two T's, love, biggest mugs you got. Where's that? Yeah, that was, oh, that's... Um, it's got a Mondrian stained glass window. And a fantastic fish and chip shop next door to where yeah. we were filming. Nobody had catering that day. I thought we it was in Westbourne Grove. I thought it looks like Notting Hill. Maybe 20 years ago, and maybe not today. I can't remember where exactly where that was, but it was right in the middle of... Uh, it was, there was a, bri- a sort of railway bridge. It just looked the part, you know. It was yeah, yeah. perfect. One of the th- first things your character does is smoke. Yeah. What's that like now in, in <laughs> well, the world of film? Um, herbal, obviously. Yeah. Everyone smokes herbal or these honeydew, whatever. God knows what's in them. It's right. probably even worse than nicotine. Pretty good imagine. smoking, though, if you don't mind me saying. Well, you used to smoke, you see, in the day. Yeah. Back in the day, when I was 15, it was that's what you did. You know. I think we all did, didn't we? Well, they're all vaping now, aren't they? That's, they're, that's they're, the problem. That is, that is another thing. Every teenager chooses his... Um, yeah. Poison. How long does a film like this take to make? Is what, sorry? How long does a film like this take to make? That was, um, it was a couple of months. Yeah. A couple of months. Um, and period dramas are always difficult, obviously, because you have to kind of make sure that it's it looks perfect. Yeah, yeah. You can't have different street signs, road signs, all of that kind of stuff. So you have to... What, why do you think the film was made? Because we were trying to figure out, right, what does this film tell us? It tells us, tells us that bad things happen, 
have happened always will happen. It tells us that we all have the wrong seeds inside us as well as the right seeds, and it's up to us which ones we water and point towards the sun. Tells us all that. What do you? What else do you think? The universal concept of revenge that we all understand about being wronged, about taking back ownership of your life. You know, I mean, even Shakespeare's time, there was a whole 20 period of revengers tragedies, you know, which was kind of capped by Hamlet trying to take revenge for his dead father. That's a that's a that's a huge human emotion. And I think the clever thing about the film is that they set that against that time. So that's really what it does. It's giving you the context of um, a time that is gritty, crunchy, dangerous, violent. And yet you've got two guys who you kind of empathise with and understand their problem. And the eye for an eye thing, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, if you take an eye for an eye, if everybody applies that mentality, then that whole world ends up blind. That's an interesting because that's that also for me that's what it screamed. Yeah, although there is there's a redemptive you could argue a redemptive ending where they become aware of the fact that they're um, yeah chasing shadows. No, that moment. I mean, let's not go. I don't want to spoil it, but that Mm. moment you don't see that coming. No, no, that that, that is a very human moment in the middle of a very unhumane scenario. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, man. Yeah, brilliant. Good film. How do you feel about the brown suit? Loved it. Loved everything brown. <laughs> you really e- rocked the brown suit. Everything was brown and avocado. I had a fantastic moustache, you know, a yeah. great wig. I looked a little like, worryingly, Enoch Powell. That's sort of what we were sort of aiming for. You looked a bit like Basil Fawlty as well, to be honest. There's a touch of Basil about him, yeah. Oh, I mean, when you all get dressed, when, when something is so stylized, and again, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it it all seemed very plain in the day. But mm. now you look back, you know, the 70s was a very brown period. Mm. There was brown lino. There were brown cars. There were brown suits. You know, there, there were brown carpets, brown wallpaper. It was very brown, yeah. wasn't it? It was the colour du jour and then tobacco stained. Everything was yeah. slightly brown Well, yellow. that's why it was brown, wasn't it? They had to paint everything <laughs> brown because it ended up brown anyway. So you might as well go there. I mean, every pub ceiling was brown. Yeah. It was gloss brown. <laughs> Not matte brown. It was gloss. They painted them brown. That's what they did, you know? Um, did you have an avocado bathroom suite? Well, yeah, but, you know, there was a bit of orange in there. There's a bit of avocado, but it's mainly brown. Um, and at the time we thought, what is this about, you know? Things were bleak enough as it was, you know, the three-day week, yes, you know, yeah, all that kind yeah. of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but looking back, it had it, it's, you know, it had its own charm. <laughs> Little did I'm we always, know. I was amazed that we always left. We left the house leaving an answer machine on, with an A to Z, and we all survived. Yeah. We didn't have phones telling us how we got anywhere, and we didn't have to be able to get in contact with everybody at you know, the drop of a hat. You'd literally press the button on this machine. You wouldn't find out till the end of the day who'd been in touch. And, and I always think, if you went to meet somebody, and they didn't turn up, yes. nobody panicked. Yeah. You know. You, you wouldn't know where they were. You just go back home and find out probably on the answer machine where they got stuck. There was yeah. no so very different time. And oh. it's actually great making a film without mobile phones because obviously that becomes a huge plot point these days. You can't make a movie without acknowledging the fact that everyone has a phone, knows where they are, knows how to get information. Whereas in those days, very different. Very different to the point that very urgent phone calls were being made in pay phones with yeah. two pieces having to wait for the beep. Yeah. I mean, it's an, <laughs> incredible. Yeah. The phone call, in, there's one scene where a phone call takes so long to make that the people who the phone calls 
being made about arrive at the the subjects of the phone call whilst the phone's still ringing. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember those great big grey boxes that you would force those two P's and ten P's into? Yeah, you should have a bag of two P's, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. Wow. Um, when you close down a huge section of a city like that, because there's some, because you can sneak it because you do tight shots. There's loads of wide shots. Yeah. Where was it? When what was it early in the usually early in the morning these kind of things Glasgow I don't know Glasgow yeah all shot right. all my stuff up so in Glasgow for, for, so that for, calf was, right yeah that was up in Scotland so for Paddington see Glasgow yeah because they've got the tenements that still look weirdly like yeah, kind yeah. Of West London yeah so there was a scene in a crescent where there was just lots of rubbish put out you know and it just really looked like Labrook Grove in the old days you're very good at what you do oh thank he is you. isn't he yeah. Yeah. Everybody in the, by the way, everyone in the film is fantastic because it's a real less is more film. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Don't you think so? Yeah. I think um, I'm always looking for stuff that is intriguing, that I like, that I think is made with the right intentions and is cool, you know? And I think it's a, it's a cool film because it, it asks questions of you, but at the same time is incredibly entertaining. Yeah, because it's, it's... I mean, for me, it had a bit of Tinker Tailor Soldier, Soldier Spy yeah. about it. Yeah, You know... Um, and I love those books and I love those films, you know, and it's it's not an uplifting film by any means, but I really enjoyed watching it. I, mm. you know, I enjoyed being in that world. Didn't enjoy what takes place in it whatsoever, but mm. I was, you know, I, I was happy with my 90 minutes in the company of all the people you've made this film with. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, the Guard Brothers who directed it, they were very meticulous as well, very specific about let's make it, let's not make it sanitised, clean. You know, everyone's slightly unshaven. No, There's a sort of kind of sweaty vibe to it. It's so real. It's it. as real as film can be. Yeah. It's funny you should mention Tinker Taylor because that was directed by a Swede and his memory of London when he was a kid yeah. was of tobacco-stained walls. And one scene that I did with Gary Oldman, he said to us... Um, uh, I want this scene to smell like damp tweed. <laughs> and Gary looked at you. We looked at each other and went, I think I know what he means. Did <laughs> <laughs> he say damp tweed, did he? Damp tweed. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else are you up to? Come on. I'm going to go and do. Um, I'm going to go and do a bit on uh, Colin Farrell. He was in The Batman playing Penguin. I don't know if you ever saw that transformation that he made into the Penguin. He wore. He just unrecognisable. Colin, Colin Farrell's been doing a bit more of that recently, hasn't he? Yeah. He. he of what? Of transforming yeah. himself? Well, it's in this thing. He, he played the character of Oz, the penguin, in The Batman, the Robert right. Pattinson one. Right, right. And he's just got prosthetics on that. You would not recognise him if you were sitting across from him. Anyway, he's got a series called The Penguin. So I'm going over to do a bit of that with him in New York. Right. Uh, Is this where he plays, plays the older guy? Yes. yes. Well, he looks older because yes. of it. He's, he's yeah, in a you, kind of... Yeah, he's a bigger guy. You, yeah, he's no, he's, a... he is... Un... Because yeah. I think the paper said, guess who this is? Yeah. One day, and yeah. not, it's like I've no idea. And they said, Colin Farrell, you go, Well, I hope they win the Oscar for hair and makeup. Yeah, he effects. looks amazing. Anyway, so there's a very cool uh, a series based around his character. I'm going to do a bit of that with him. And then in the second half of the year, HBO are doing the prequel of Dune. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the, the, the establishment of the Bene Gesserit. If you know Dune at all, it's the, it's the female people you know the, the gang yep. set up that have the voice yeah they're doing um, a series of that so i'm going to shoot that for the second half of the year playing an emperor <laughs> always love playing an emperor <laughs> yeah you're so good at it though good for you good you keep well you're keeping fit of course you are doing my best still playing football yeah a bit of boxing although the shoulders are getting a bit arthritic a bit these boxing. days but... i was thinking about getting a punch bag a bag up um, yeah because they talk about poundage don't they you kind of big bag small bag 
Some as big as your wrist. What do They're you think? They're great. It's good. It's good. It's what size bag should I go for? Oh, I get get a big one, but it's about the weight of the bag. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's whether you put clothes in it or sand or how hard it is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it already sounds a bit. And all I've got if to it's do is clothes, hit it. It's too light. You've got to put some sand in there okay. to give it some balance. What are you going to chirp in with? Well, yeah, we have a bag at our gym. Yeah. And honestly, you go five rounds with the bag. You are done. Of course you are. Yeah, I mean, absolutely done. All that done. boxing stuff. Yeah. Skipping. You yeah. skip. Try skipping <laughs> yes. for three minutes to the Pet Shop Boys. It's a sin. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Well, You're the best. You're it's the always best. lovely to be here. Nice okay, that's no, great to have you. Deadshot is out today, Sky Cinema. It's awesome, isn't it? Mm. Uh, thank you, Rachel. See you tomorrow at this big charity shindig of ours. Oh, yes. Can't wait to see you, Chris. Halftime special. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Uh, yes. Okay, so Roy Kent refuses to use the whistle, doesn't he? he goes, yeah, he just goes, whistle! Whistle! Allergic to metal. Whistle again! So uh, shall, I do the, shall I do that or should, will I be provided with the whistle? <gasps> Alex, weirdly, not weirdly, usually has a whistle on him. So, I mean, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you doing this weekend, Vassos? Um, we are going to pub in the park, Wimbledon, this evening. Are you? Looking forward. All right. Great. Apparently it's quite muddy, so no white stilettos. I have to leave them at home. OK. OK. <laughs> Vassos. now or you want to go out with a... <laughs> OK. All right. Good, everyone. Bye-bye. Enjoy your revision. Graham Norton on the air, half past nine. I can't believe he's going on the radio the few hours after Eurovision uh, is over and he's hosting the whole darn thing. Good luck, Tim. Good luck to everyone. Have a fantastic weekend. Back here, half past six, on Monday with um, Morgan Wade live on our Steel of Rock. Ta-da. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.